All right, once again, good morning. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. This morning we're going to finish up a little three-part series we've been working uh, on here at Calvary, uh, which we've entitled The Signs of the Times. And it really comes out of Matthew 16, verses 1 to 4, but primarily verses 2 and 3. But let's read verses 1 through 4. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Verses 2 and 3 actually correspond to an old maritime proverb. You've all heard it. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. And when Jesus quoted this proverb, what he was basically saying is, you know, you can tell what kind of weather is coming by the signs in the sky. Red sky in the morning or in the evening and so on. Yet you are ignorant to the signs of the times which predict Messiah's coming, which, of course, he was talking of himself. God gave to his people Israel, and all of us, really, uh, many signs of Messiah's coming. In fact, in the Old Testament of his first coming, there were over 300 prophecies that God gave that they were to look for that would uh, let them know they were getting near the Messiah's coming. We've already looked at some of these that they should have known like the coming of John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ, the miracles which the Messiah did, which pointed to his uh, the fact that he was the genuine Messiah, not a false Messiah. And, of course, another big one was the prophecy of Daniel 9, which predicted to the very day Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem, declaring himself to be the Messiah. And Jesus was indicting the people of his day for not knowing the signs of his first coming. Remember how in the, uh, on the um, Palm Sunday, Uh, At one point, he rides into Jerusalem on that donkey. That was the day that was prophesied in Daniel 9, the very day he would present himself as Messiah to the nation. But they rejected him. And as he got up over the Mount of Olives before entering the city, he knew they were going to reject him, the leadership. And he begins to weep over the city and says, you know, if you had only known the day of your visitation, if you had only known your prophecy that God gave to you, this is the very day Daniel prophesied Messiah was going to come riding into Jerusalem declaring himself to be Messiah. But because you did not know the day of your visitation, you were ignorant to the signs of the times, therefore the judgment of God is going to fall on this nation. And certainly it did in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, and slaughtered over a million Jews. All because they were ignorant, God held them accountable for knowing Bible prophecy, but they were woefully ignorant. What about this generation? Fast forward a couple thousand years. I mean, there were over 300 prophecies of his first coming. Folks, there are over 500 of his second coming. And for the most part, now, you folks, and there's other Christians, obviously, who keep up on these things. But in general, the church of Jesus Christ in this country, I think leadership and Christians are just as clueless to the signs of his second coming as Israel's leaders were to the signs of his first coming. We have no excuse. And if we think 
we are going to escape the judgment of God for not knowing uh, the signs of the times that we're living in, for not being prepared and ready for his coming. If we think as a nation, because we stamp in God we trust in our coins, that that's going to somehow give us a pass. We're a Christian nation. God loves us, right? I mean, we're his people. Well, we're a nation that's turned its back on God and um, are willfully ignorant of the things that God has told us to look for, which indicate Jesus is coming again very soon. Now, we've looked at several of these already. In fact, two of them. Uh, We saw how uh, one of the great signs that we were getting close to the return of Christ was when Israel became a nation once again. That happened on May 14th, 1948. Uh, It was a miracle. No people has ever been out of their land for 1,900 years. They were scattered in 70 A.D., and they began to wander throughout the face of the earth. Wandering Jew was a term that came from that period. They were a people without a country. And no nation, no people has ever been out of their land for 1,900 years to be regathered into it once again. And not only that, God said, when I bring you back, you're not going to be two nations anymore, uh, Israel and Judah. You're going to be one nation. And here's something else. You're going to again speak pure Hebrew. Never has a language been dead for 1,900 years to be revived and spoken again as a native tongue. Good Israel today, they speak Hebrew. So that was a tremendous sign that we were getting near the return of Christ because God said it would happen in the last days, the times prior to Messiah's return. Also, we talked about another sign that we were, are to look for, which is uh, an attack against the nation of Israel. And you say, well, wait a minute. There's been many attacks against Israel over the years. What, why is that so special? Because these two attacks, and we talked about Psalm 83 and Ezekiel uh, 38, these two attacks are going to be made up of a special coalition of enemy nations that has never really come together before exactly this way. God even told us who they were going to be in Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, uh, two different battles, but they could happen right one in back of another. So it's, they could happen very quickly. But as we see these enemy nations coming together like they've never done before, and they're you know beginning to prepare for war against Israel, which they're doing. And we talked about this in detail last time. We know that we're getting close to his return because the Bible says that when this battle happens, um, especially the one in Ezekiel 38 I'm thinking of, that um, God is going to rise up and fight for his people. And um, eventually Jesus Christ would return to take possession of this earth. So this battle is right at the end before Jesus comes back. How about a third one? Well, a third one would be what the Bible calls signs in the heavens and on earth. Turn to Luke 21. Luke 21, let's pick it up in verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And, of course, these events will primarily happen during the, during the tribulation period, which is the context of that the prophecy Jesus gave. But we're seeing the beginnings of these things taking place right now. Right now. You can go on YouTube and type in signs in the heavens or uh, fulfilled prophecy 2013, as I did this weekend. 
And you can watch some interesting videos on how natural disasters are increasing all over the world. Things like earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, and other examples of extreme weather taking place all over the world. Many attribute these things to global warming. But I believe they are signs of the times that Jesus' return is drawing near. We also see signs in the sun, like increased sunspot activity and other things which have caused some scientists to believe that the sun is entering into a period of destabilization. We know from Revelation 16, verse 8, that during the tribulation period, at one point, God uses the sun as a judgment upon the people of this world who refuse to repent from their sin, come to Christ, and give him glory. The sun, it seems, and you can read the passage in Revelation 16, but the sun, it seems, enters into a nova period, and begins to scorch people on the earth. Other signs in the heavens would include increased meteor activity. I heard a scientist say, it's not a matter of if we're going to get hit by a major meteor, it's when. We are seeing an increase in meteors. We just saw one hit Russia a few weeks ago, uh, and one just missed us, a very large one, but it does the major damage. But it's interesting that scientists understand that, you know, not if, but when. We're, we're going to get hit. And could this be one of the things that Jesus was alluding to when he said in Luke 21:26, men's hearts would be failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Uh, it almost seems like they're watching something taking place that they're fearful of. It's coming. You know, scientists know when these meteors are coming. I'll tell you this, in Revelation 8, verse 8, we read, John said, Then the second angel sounded, sounded a trumpet of judgment, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. It says a third of the the sea life was destroyed, a third of the ships wiped out. I believe that's a giant meteor which comes crashing uh, down on the earth, hitting in the sea, somewhere in the seas of the earth, doing major damage, but it could be other things as well. We read in Revelation 16:21, where John said, And great hail fell from heaven upon men. Each hailstone weighed about a talent of weight, 100 pounds. Wow. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. I think it could be a meteor shower of giant meteors. Uh, Not to say God didn't orchestrate it, but sometimes God will use natural things in supernatural ways to bring about his purposes. Uh, 100-pound hailstones. People ask, are they hot or cold? Does it matter? (laughs) Does it really matter? You got a 100-pound rock. I don't care if it's a 100-pound block of ice or a 100-pound hunk of granite coming down at you from, from outer space. It doesn't really matter at that point. Okay? Can be made of jello. If it's 100 pounds, you're going down, man. <laughs> but other scriptures talk about famines increasing, plagues, diseases. There's a new bird flu out uh, that has scientists pretty concerned. These things would take place all over the world in greater and greater measures uh, as Jesus' return was getting nearer and nearer. And we're seeing the beginning of all of these, including some other strange phenomenon. Have you been noticing how that in different places around the world, all of a sudden hundreds of birds will fall to the earth dead? You see them laying on the ground in these videos, just fall out of the sky dead. 
I've seen videos where thousands and thousands of fish suddenly die and are washed up on the shore without explanation. I mean, nature is going crazy, isn't it? Is this all combined together God's signs that we're getting near the return of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I believe it is. Number four, how about another sign that we are to look for that tells us that Jesus is coming soon? The Bible says we would see human society begin to break down as evil and morality and immorality increase. Let me read to you what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Folks, that's the evening news. (laughs) Have you noticed in the news over the last few weeks how that suddenly all over the world nations are beginning to get behind gay marriage? Now, there are some in in Europe that have, uh, have already gotten behind it, but Most of the countries uh, around the world have not gotten behind gay marriage. We as a nation, just a couple years ago, many Americans opposed it, uh, a great majority. And now it's flip-flopped. Now most Americans support it. What is happening? All of a sudden now, this is taking place. People are reversing their opinions, right? And, of course, the logic is, well, why can't they marry? You Christians, what's your hang-up, man? What's your deal? They want their civil rights as much as you do. Well, folks, let me say this to you. Gay marriage is not a civil right. It's a moral wrong. And a moral wrong can never be a civil right. Besides that, what did God say in the Ten Commandments? Honor your what? Father and mother? He didn't say honor your mother and mother. Honor your father and father. Uh, Honor your mother and her living boyfriend. He said honor your mother and father. God set up the family unit. He is the one who created marriage. Man has no business getting his hands in there and messing with it. And I'll tell you what the problem is going to be when they pass this, and believe me, they're going to pass it. When you destroy what God has ordained, when you destroy the basic building block of society, traditional marriage and the family unit, as those institutions crumble, so will society. Oh, not right away necessarily. I'm not saying we won't have something called society. I'm just saying society as God has ordained it is going to be a thing of the past. Here's why. God said marriage was to be between one man, one woman for life. You get in here and say, well, we don't think it's fair that gays can't marry. So we think that two men should be able to marry, two women should be able to marry. So we're going to legalize that. You know what's coming right after that? Polygamy. It's already happened in other countries. I guarantee you. Because they're already lining up. They're already getting ready for a court battle. Because here's the logic. You can't tell them they can marry gays but then tell me I can't marry the people I love. I mean, we love each other. I've got four or five wives. We're a family. So you have to recognize that union. And then that opens the door for any other perverted union that wants to call themselves a marriage and a family. Society begins to break down. We see this breakdown in society and the way people are thinking. My goodness. Have people gotten warped in their thinking or what? Um... A lobbyist for Planned Parenthood 
was uh, standing before the legislature in Florida, a congressional hearing, supported the idea of infanticide. In other words, if an abortion was botched and the baby was born alive, the one um, legislator asked this uh, gal from Planned Parenthood, uh, what should be done for that baby who is now struggling for its life on the table there? Well, we believe that it's up to the, to the mother and her health care provider to decide what to do with that baby at that point. Why, why can't we do that? Why can't, you know, uh, we wait a day or two? I heard one guy say two weeks. We should wait two weeks. We should be able to have a two-week window to evaluate whether that child deserves to live after it's born. And I'll tell you, this was socialized medicine. It's only going to be a matter of time before euthanasia comes. Well, we get rid of our elderly. Why? I'm not saying the government will purposely inject people who are elderly and kill them, but they'll withhold from them the treatments and the medical practices, the surgeries that they need to continue life because they've outlived their usefulness. The government has already said that the main group of people, I think it's like you know, 17 to 45 or whatever it might be, uh, those are the people that we want to focus on because they're the producers. They work, pay the taxes. But the older um, citizens, they will have to go before uh, panels that will determine whether or not uh, they are worthy, basically, of receiving the care that they need. And if the panel decides not, because you only have so much money to work with, okay? Margaret Thatcher said the thing about the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money. And that's always the case. Everywhere where socialized medicine has been enacted, it's always led to panels. And I saw a panel and caught a lot of heat for calling them death panels. But that's exactly where it's going. It always has gone that way with socialized medicine. You, can't, you don't have the money to treat everybody, so you have to decide what group is the most you know, important to society. Focus on them and the others, well, if we run out of money, that's the way it goes. But it gets crazier and crazier all the time. I mean, the, the lunacy never ends. A federal judge this week said that uh, the Plan B pill, the morning-after pill, some call it the abortion pill, uh, has to be made available over-the-counter. So young girls as, as young as 10 can buy the, the, the pill right there, you know, what's hanging next to the bubble gum and bandages, grab yourself a pack of abortion uh, pills. I can't even go to the pharmacy and get no spray with a decongestant without showing my license, signing a paper. But a 10-year-old can go and buy the, day, the morning after pill, which if not administered properly can kill her. It's just craziness. Society is breaking down. And we see this, of course, in the escalating divorce rate, which is destroying the family and breaking down society. I just heard a little while ago that the number of young couples living together in our country out of wedlock has now eclipsed the number living together who are married, and that goes for women who are pregnant. Uh, more women who are preg young women are pregnant today who are not married, living out of wedlock, than those that are married. And I think this just feeds into the whole mentality, why get married? You know, if things don't work out, I don't want to be able to walk out of here without any problems, without any hassles. No commitment, right? Just live together, doesn't work out, we'll split. It's a lack of commitment, a lack of values. And then you add to that the economies around the world, including the United States, that are crumbling due to all these entitlements. In Europe, we have seen cradle-to-grave entitlement programs for years. It's just bankrupting Europe. You, you watch the news, you know what I mean. And we have so many entitlements in this nation, it's also crippling our economy. We have a $17 trillion debt. I mean, it's unsustainable. And I believe eventually the economies of the world are going to collapse, and that's going to lead to the next sign 
that the Bible says was coming before Jesus' return. A one-world government. A one-world government. Turn to Revelation 13 once. And let's just read verse 1. Where John said, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And as you study Revelation, you realize that this is a leader who emerges out of the sea. The sea is a metaphor for the nations. That's in Scripture. The seas often represent symbolically the nations. A leader is going to arise out of the nations. He is going to have the backing of the world community. He might even come out of the United Nations. We don't know. But we know him as the Antichrist. The Antichrist. And he's going to come and bring to this earth a one-world government consisting of a ten-region confederacy. He is going to divide the world into ten regions. And each of those regions is going to have what the Bible calls her a king. It could be a leader, prime minister, president who is going to rule each of those regions. That's why the crowns are on the horns. The word crown there in Greek is diadema, which we get our word diadem from, which is the crown of a king or a ruler. And the Antichrist initially is not going to be a dictator when he rises to power. He's going to be a man of peace. In fact, the world will thrust him into power. The world will want him to take control because of his brilliance and charisma. And initially, he'll play a subdued role as world leader. He'll allow these regions to democratically elect their own leader and let them, you know, rule for a while thinking everything is great, right? But eventually he's going to show his true colors. He's going to take three of those leaders, rip them out, and take control over the whole world, uh, becoming a dictator. And the Bible prophesies in the, in the days of this final world empire, Jesus Christ is going to return to judge the Antichrist and his followers and set up his kingdom, a glorious kingdom that will have no end. Now, we don't get all of that from Revelation 13.1. You can study Daniel chapter 2 and other places that talk about this ten-region confederacy that the world will unite into. Now, here's the thing. I don't personally think the world, the people of this world, are going to come together suddenly, voluntarily, to unite in a one-world government. Think about it. You give up your national sovereignty, your national flag, your national currency, your national constitution. Hey, those are big things for a lot of people. What would cause people to be willing to give up those things to come together in a one-world government? I believe something catastrophic has to happen. If you study the writings of Marxists and socialists, they'll tell you one of the quickest ways to get people to do what you want is to create a crisis so terrifying so catastrophic that people are so terrified they beg their government to fix it no matter what they have to do, even if it means giving up personal freedoms or even their national constitution and sovereignty. Now, let me just say this, and I don't know how I feel about this. I think it's possible. I don't know. But many have come to believe that there is a powerful group of individuals, a financial cabal, call them the trilateralists, the Bilderbergs, whatever you want to call them, working behind the scenes that are manipulating the economies of the world in an attempt to bring them down and hasten their goal of a one-world financial and political empire. Now, I don't know if that's really happening. I don't know. Okay? Let me say this to you. Whether or not that's true, we know one thing for sure. The Bible says we are headed for a one-world government. So whether a small group of very powerful, rich people are pushing us in that direction, 
or through mismanagement of the world's funds, giving people everything uh, just to gain votes, which has brought the economies of the world to collapse. Regardless of what's the mechanism behind it, we know that the Bible says the world is going to federate under a one-world government. And when they finally have their utopia, because folks, there have been people for many, many years who have been working towards a one-world government. They think it's going to be utopia, okay? I mean, think about it. Here's their mentality. And, you know, they're idealists. Get your head out of the clouds for a minute, okay? And look at the evil in the human heart. I had one guy tell me one time years ago at a conference, he was talking to all of us, actually. He said, you know, my folks lived in Austria, uh, my grandparents, at the start of World War II. And they fled to America to get away from Hitler and his, and his regime and so on. But see, they had a place they could run to that was safe. If you have a one-world government and the whole thing becomes corrupt, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to run. But the mindset is we come together as a one-world community and all, and that way there's no more wars, no more competition. Everyone lives in a perfect utopia. And here's the thing. When the Antichrist comes, he is going to give people that utopia for a time. He's going to lull them into a false security. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, when the people of this world say peace and safety, ah, finally, here we are. Our utopia is here. You know, our leader is on, you know, is, is leading us. He's a Messiah. He's brought peace to the entire world and prosperity. Paul says when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So right about the time the world thinks it's finally achieved its goal, its dream, a world apart from God, be a totally secular society. Then God begins to bring judgment upon these people and I could read you things I'm going to skip it I mean things that were uh, said by Henry Kissinger uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski which was the uh, President Obama's uh, first um, top foreign policy advisor uh, him and Rockefeller uh, co-founded the uh, Trilateral Commission uh, they've been talking about a one world government for a long time what's going to finally push us in that direction let me read to you what one economist said he said, this is going back now to 2009, okay, because right after the collapse of 08, 09, he said, with an annual trade deficit of $700 billion per year, well, now, folks, it's $1.4 trillion, okay? A national debt that will surpass $12 trillion next year, it's now going to be $17 trillion. A banking system that will need $2 trillion of additional capital, foreigners owing $3 trillion of our debt, 0% interest rates, and a weakening currency, something has to give. Eventually, we will reach a tipping point where too much debt will result in a hyperinflationary crash. It may be in two years or ten. No one knows. Ben Bernanke, Timothy Geithner, Barack Obama, they don't know because they were also caught off guard when this current crisis took place. So it's coming. And he's not the only economist saying that. We cannot sustain our debt. Now, there are some who believe that there are some in our country that are actively working to collapse our economy. There was a couple of professors, I think they're still alive, very liberal professors, who proposed a strategy called the Cloward-Piven strategy. Basically, overwhelm the system, get as many people on the public dole as you can until you collapse the system, and then you can rebuild it in a socialist utopia image. Now, whether you think that that's legitimate, I'll leave it to you. Let me tell you this, if the U.S. economy crashes... It's going to have a cascade effect. It's going to wipe out the world banking system. 
and plunged the world into a worldwide Great Depression. And when the people of this world are now in this catastrophic situation, and there's rioting, there's looting, uh, armed thugs roaming the streets, uh, survival of the fittest, the people of this world are going to scream for their governments to fix the problem. And here's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, we can fix it, but here's what we got to do. You guys got to give up all your national sovereignty. we got to come together as a world community, one world government with a central government, central bank. That's how we're going to fix it. Oh, whatever you have to do, we'll do it. Just give us normalcy. I'll give you one more sign that the Bible tells us to look for before Jesus returns. This one strikes very close to home. It's a falling away from the faith, a falling away from the faith. Christian apostasy. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. Where Paul said in verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, talking about the rapture now, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of Christ's judgment and return, will not come unless, listen, the falling away comes first and the man of sin, who is the Antichrist, is revealed the son of perdition. The Greek word translated falling away is apostasia. The word we get our English word apostasy from. And the basic meaning of apostasia is rebellion and abandonment. Rebellion and abandonment. Listen to how Paul applied this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. He told Timothy, for the time will come. Now he's talking about the last days. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who is the they? People say, well, the people of this world. Folks, the people of this world have never endured sound doctrine. He's talking about churchgoers here. As phenomenal as that is to think about. The time is coming when people in church, I'll put it that way, will not endure Sound doctrine, Greek words mean healthy teaching from God's word. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, God's truth. That's the definition of apostasy. It's a rebellion, an abandonment of God's truth. They will turn their ears away from God's truth and be turned aside to fables. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, a lot of churches are very full. Okay? I mean, just because it says people are going to abandon the faith doesn't mean necessarily they're going to abandon church. That's the insidious part of this whole thing. They're going to stay in church embracing things that are not from God, which they think are biblical Christianity. You know who was one of, the, one of my heroes in the faith who taught me and so many others to be discerning about certain doctrines of demons that have come into the church under the guise of biblical Christianity in these last days. His name was Dave Hunt. He went home to be with the Lord this weekend. I tell you, if there was any, a moder- if there was any man who was a modern-day prophet, it was Dave Hunt, calling the church of Jesus Christ to repentance, calling us back to the truth, calling us back to biblical Christianity based on God's truth, not on the wisdom of man. May God bless his family, his wife Ruth and his children. And may God give the church of Jesus Christ ten more just like him. We need it. But Paul says, he's prophesying, in the last days many Christians are going to flock to churches. 
to listen to ministers, might I add, who are very charismatic, very good communicators, you know, very good-looking guys, many of these guys, right? I mean, you know, Satan's no idiot. You're going to deceive people. In the culture that we're living in, the celebrity-crazed culture, you know, you give them style over substance, right? That's what we're... Style over substance. If a guy looks good, talks good, has nice teeth when he smiles, he's my guy. I don't really care what he has to say. He looks good. Look at them teeth, man. You know, well, all the better to eat you with, my dear. They're wolves, okay? Don't look at the $1,200 suit. You know, the nice hair, which I don't have anymore, but... Look past the style. Look at the substance. What are they saying? What are they teaching? Does it line up with God's Word? Much of it today doesn't. And people are flocking to these churches to hear what these men have to say, but they're not teaching God's truth. They're actually teaching the devil's lies packaged as God's truth. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but if you want to really get into this in detail, you can go online, access our series, The Battle for Truth, because we went into all of this. But apostasy would be one of the characteristics to look for, one of the signs of Jesus coming. You say, well, wait a minute, though. There has been apostasy in the church from its inception. Yes, that's true, but this is different. This is apostasy on a scale we've never really seen before, where so many in the church are turning away from biblical Christianity, biblical sound doctrine. It's a defection, a wholesale defection from the faith. You realize that many mainline denominations no longer believe in the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, the blood atonement, the inerrancy of Scripture, or the reality of hell? That would have been unthinkable 20 years ago. Let me share with you quickly the result of a survey that appeared in the Orange County Register some time ago. The survey was conducted by sociologist Jeffrey Hayden, who asked, listen, 7,441 Protestant ministers, not a small group of guys, almost 7,500 Protestant ministers, a series of questions to see what they believed about what the Christian faith has historically taught. Here are the percentages of those that answered no to the following questions. I'm only going to give you three of the questions. There were others. First question, ask these Protestant ministers, do you accept Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead? Now, folks, that's an essential doctrine. If you don't believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead bodily, you are not going to heaven. They asked these Protestant ministers, remember now, these are the shepherds who are telling the sheep what to believe. Do you accept Jesus' physical resurrection as a fact? Methodists, 51% said no. Episcopalians, 35% said no. American Baptists, 33% said no. Presbyterians, 30%. American Lutherans, 13%. Question two. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Methodists, 60% said no. Presbyterians, 49%, no. Episcopalians, 44%. American Baptists, 34%. American Lutherans, 19%. I'll give you one more. They asked these ministers, do you believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God? Episcopalians, 95% said no. Methodists, 87% said no. Whitfield and Wesley must be turning in their graves. 
Presbyterians, 82% said no. American Baptists, 77%, excuse me, American Lutherans, 77%, American Baptists, 67% said no. This tells us that many mainline denominations in America are in apostasy. And remember, these are the ministers, the ones that teach others about God, and they are clueless. And Jesus warned us that before his coming, we would see an escalation in false prophets. A false prophet is anyone who claims, a prophet is anyone who claims to speak on behalf of God. False prophet speaks falsely, of course. It could be preachers, teachers, uh, pastors. I mean, it's just amazing to see where we are uh, as a nation. Let me just bring this to an end by saying this. Prophecy... A lot of churches stay away from prophecy. They don't teach prophecy. Why? It makes people uncomfortable. And we're all about bringing people into the church, not driving them out. So they play it safe. But they don't do their people any favors. Because by not teaching them prophecy, they're not helping them to watch for Jesus' return, which we're commanded to do. You can't watch unless you're given something to watch for. A sign, right? A prophetic event. Prophecy is not designed to scare you. It is designed to prepare you. At the end of the book of Revelation, the most prophetic book in the Bible, we read these words in chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus Christ speaking. He said, surely, after giving all these prophecies now to John, here's what Jesus said, surely I am coming quickly. What is he talking about? Well, he's coming quickly, obviously. But he's saying, basically, I have given you all these prophetic events to look for, to prepare you for what's coming, not to scare you. Not to scare you. And look, a true understanding of Bible prophecy should motivate us to do two things. To obey God's word ourselves and to share the gospel with others, right? Because if we know, based on the signs that we are seeing, you can't turn on the TV today and watch the news without seeing signs of his coming, being fulfilled. If we as Christians see the signs of a second coming all around us, it should motivate us to stop messing with the world, stop playing games with God, stop living as if this is our kingdom on earth, and start getting our eyes on the Lord, right? As Paul says, you know, focus on things above, not on things on the earth. Don't lay up for yourself treasures, Jesus said, on the earth where they can be ripped off. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. If we see Jesus coming, his coming is getting nearer and nearer, it should motivate us to want to get our lives right with God begin to obey him, and share the Lord with our loved ones, especially. Let me tell you how the Old Testament ends. The final verse of the Old Testament, which was based on law, Malachi 4, verse 6, God said, Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the last statement of the Old Testament. God pronounces a curse. You know what the last statement of the New Testament is? Revelation 22:21, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace. Grace means a gift. God can offer us the gift of eternal life because Jesus paid the price. The new covenant is all about grace. Old covenant, law, misery, curse. Hopelessness. New covenant, based on Jesus' blood, grace be to you. The kind of grace John Newton talked about, the former slave trader, when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the kind of grace God is offering.
doesn't matter how badly you've lived your life, how many sins you have committed, you should study John Newton's life. Wow. Yet God saved him because Newton confessed Christ as his Lord and Savior, invited him to come into his life. And Jesus took control and turned this slave trader into a great preacher and songwriter, hymn writer. Look, we're done. Let me just say this. The book of Revelation isn't a book glorifying judgment, death, and destruction at the, hand, at the hands of a wrathful, vengeful God. It's a prophetic warning given from the heart of a merciful God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth is a warning to prepare people. Look, you know, we talk about warnings. Some parts of the country live with these tornadoes, these killer tornadoes, and they have put up these warning systems. And when the warning alarm goes off, that very loud horn, what is it telling you to do? Take cover. Something bad is coming. Prophecy is God's warning alarm. Take cover. Flee the wrath to come. Come to Jesus Christ. Because these signs are are an evidence that we're getting close to God's judgment upon this Christ-rejecting world. Now, people say, well, you know, I come to church to be edified. I don't come to church to be uncomfortable. Does a, a tornado siren bring you a lot of comfort? You're in the middle of the night, you're laying in bed. Does that, does that make you feel good? Oh, that's wonderful. I love that sound. No, it really scares you, right? But it's good because it warns you to run and take cover. Yeah, sure, prophecy is uncomfortable. Sure, it's scary. Would you rather bury your head in the sand and, and not know what God has said so that God's judgment comes and takes you off guard. This is a warning from a merciful God. Flee the wrath to come. Come to me before it's too late. In fact, right before the book of Revelation ends, verse 17, Revelation 22, God gives one final invitation because God's all about seeking and saving those who are lost. We read, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The living water that Christ gives, right? Come. The wrath is coming, but come to me. I'll just give you safety. Take shelter in my son. He paid for your sins. Look, right now is the age of grace. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus said, behold, I am coming quickly. And I'll tell you what, if that was true back in John's day, it's really true today. Come and drink from the fountain of the water of life quickly before it's too late. In other words, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. And Jesus said, as you see these things coming to pass, the signs of a second coming, look up because your redemption is getting very close. And John said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, come and deliver us from the wickedness of this world. God, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about little children abused. I'm so tired of the evil. Did you watch the news last night? Did you watch the news? Two grandparents had their grandson living with them. and They were elderly. She promises the grandson a new car if he'll kill his grandfather. This kid was a gangbanger. While his grandfather was outside shoveling one day, he took... Gun, pumped him full of six shots, killed him. No remorse. Got the new car. Thought everything was good, but they found out what happened. 
a wife having her husband killed by her grandson. I look and go, Lord, can it get any worse? Can it get... The love of many has grown cold, as Jesus said it would in the last days. People would be without natural affection. We're seeing it everywhere. I mean, I don't want to go on in this world. I want Jesus to come and bring that kingdom of righteousness, love, and true peace. And if you want to be a part of that kingdom, today is the day of salvation. Give your heart to Christ now, and you'll be taken with him to be a part of that kingdom forever. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have not left us in darkness, that these things should overtake us as a thief. Lord, you've given us many signs to look for, many prophecies that indicate the coming of our Savior is very near, even at the door. And Lord, we look up now because our redemption is drawing very close. But give us grace, Lord, to keep working here on earth, to be a light. Give us grace, Lord, to continue to follow you, obey you, and be a proper witness of you to the people of this world. Lord, they are not our enemies. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. They are pawns, captives by the devil, taken captive by him to do, their, to do his will. Lord, give us grace to reach out with compassion and kindness and share the good news with them that there is a power available to set them free and give them life eternal. And we, Lord, are the spokesmen. We are the ambassadors representing our King to give the world that news. We just thank you, Lord, for your great grace upon all of us. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen.